Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to the Science of the Covenant. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. Before we get started, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the Science of the Covenant. We want a little bit more interaction, so if you have anything you would like the pastor to possibly speak on in his discourse, or even the Let's Talk About It segment. The Let's Talk About It segment, we created that as a segment that we talk about things that are going on today and how they may relate to Scripture. So if you have anything that you would like us to talk about in the Let's Talk About It segment, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com, your suggestion, and we will try to uh, edit our let's talk about it if you want something that the pastor to uh, maybe speak on in his discourses uh, send us an email and we will see what we can try to do because the whole thing we're trying to study the scripture we're trying to understand the scripture in preparation for what's to come we hope you had joined us and had a good time as we learned uh this past week as we was keeping the feast of unleavened bread now we're going to be looking towards the summer feast coming up we will have days for that for you uh coming up in the future so be on the lookout of that and i want to remind you you know always go and check out our website psychov.com s-c-i-c-o-v uh dot com so with that we are on the science of the sacrifice part 14 and so with that i'm going to turn it over to the pastor okay thank you very much boys what we're going to do is continue and most likely we'll be through with this series uh here in the month of april and we'll be considering another series but as has been pointed out if there are some topics that you feel that you are interested in and you want to discuss, just send it in and we'll contemplate that. Give a discourse on it, we'll try to announce it in advance so that you and perhaps those who are interested in that particular topic will be alerted as to when we'll be speaking on it. So with that being said, what we want to do is to continue with the study that we have had now, thus far, what we have been looking at was the sacrificial blood of the lamb. And we saw how the blood was applied in the courtyard. And we know the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary was here on earth, which points out the brazen labor, which was the baptism in the Jordan River of Yeshua. And then when you look at the altar of burnt offerings, that corresponded to the cross. So those were the two pieces of the furniture in the court in which the blood was dealt with. And then the next ministry that we were considering was the ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, which was inside the sanctuary. We dealt with the court. Now we want to go into the heavenly sanctuary above and see how the blood was applied there so we can get some understanding of how we are justified through the life of Yeshua. So with that being said, let us have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for another Shabbat. 
And as we have come out of the time of the Passover and we're looking toward Pentecost, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to lead us in the calendar that you have given to your people that we can know that we're on the same page that you are on. And now as we continue further with the subject of Yeshua's blood and how it's being applied to the heavenly sanctuary, that you would come into our midst and reveal and talk to us and to be able to see how salvation and the atonement is being able to be applied to each one of our lives that we can know of a surety that the blood of Yeshua that cleanse can also cleanse us and give us a new life. And with that new life, oh Heavenly Father, it prepares us for the eternal life that you have promised to all of their children who are faithful. We pray this prayer in the name of you, Yeshua the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, to get started on this uh, week's lesson, we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 4, and we want to consider verses 5 through 7. Leviticus chapter 4, starting with verse 5, it says, And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before Yah, before the veil of the tabernacle. And verse 7 says, And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before Yah, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, much of verse 7 we have dealt with, but the part about anointing uh, that, go, that goes on in the sanctuary itself, we have not, we have not touched on that. So what, what we want to do is that when we look at verse 7, it speaks about the priest taking the blood and putting it on the horns of the sweet incense altar. Now, we know we put it blood on the horns in the altar out in the courtyard, but now we want to consider going inside of the tabernacle and see where the blood was applied. So we talked about the first ministry in the courtyard. Now we're talking about the second ministry the priest performed with the sacrificial blood of the lamb, which took place in the sanctuary tabernacle. In this ministry, the priests would make some applications of the blood to certain articles of furnishings and the area in it. And so when we look at the area in the, in the sanctuary and furnishings, there was going to be some blood applied there as well. And when we reference this sanctuary tabernacle application of the sacrificial blood of the lamb as the, as the sanctuary tabernacle application, 
And we call this the inner appropriation of the atoned life. We observe in the typical ministry in this part of the sanctuary tabernacle, now let us view it from the antitypical ministry. The typical took place in the earthly sanctuary tabernacle, whereas the antitypical ministry takes place in the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle. So when we consider the fact that when we looked at the blood being applied in the earthly tabernacle, we want to look at the antitypical and see how it was played, how it was applied in the heavenly sanctuary. So we want to look at the inner appropriation of the atonement life. Now in doing so, we want to look at turn to Exodus chapter 26. In Exodus chapter 26, we want to look at verse number 33. Exodus 26, 33 reads thus, And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy so Elohim was telling Moses, Moses when he had the tabernacle constructed that when he had erected the sanctuary tabernacle, there was to be a veil inside the sanctuary tabernacle and that veil would separate two apartments. The first apartment when you go into the sanctuary would be called a holy place and then you would have a veil to separate the holy place and on the other side of the veil, you have a place they call the most holy place. So the holy place and the uh, most holy place, they were separated by a veil. Okay. So we would we would think that the earthly sanctuary tabernacle was made on a model of the heavenly, even though the heavenly may not be identical to the earthly, but it certainly has, uh, uh, is a replica of the ministries that went on in heaven. So in this second ministry, which takes place within the precinct of the holy place and the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, in the earthly sanctuary, it is in this area that the priest would take the basin containing the sacrificial blood and go into the first apartment of the sanctuary and sprinkle the sinful blood seven times before the veil, which separated the first and the second apartments. So the blood that was sprinkled in the holy place was the same sinful blood that was used in the courtyard. We pointed out that this blood was sinful because it represented the sins of the repentance who confess them over the lamb, when sins were placed upon the lamb, the purity of the lamb was given to the repentant. The repentant goes away with the pure blood of the lamb, and the lamb goes away with the impure blood of the repentant. See, that's what it's all about. In very much the same way as the blood was applied, in the typical service of the earthly sanctuary tabernacle, 
it would also be appropriated in the antitypical service of the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle, just as the blood that was sprinkled in the holy place of the earthly sanctuary tabernacle, even so would the lifeblood of Yeshua be appropriated in the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle in the holy, in the holy place. This blood, which represents the life of Yeshua, was, was sinful because it represented our sins, which we confess to him. When we confess our sins to Yeshua, he takes them upon himself to become our sin bearer. The Bible says he was made sin for us who knew no sin. So when we put our sins upon him, then he became sinful for us. He accepts our sinful life and gives us his righteous life. We go away from him with a pure life and he goes away from us with an impure life. In the exchange of our life for his life, we call this the atonement. That's what the atonement is. The atonement is that when we go to the cross and we confess our sins, Yeshua takes our sin and then he gives us his life. That's what his atonement basically is. And then when that happens, we become at one meant with Elohim, with the Father. Such an exchange as this in the typical service, we would reference this to the blood of the sacrifice, and we would call this the life of the atonement. In the antitypical service, we would reference this to the blood of Yeshua's sacrifice, and, would, and, and this would be the life of Yeshua's, this would be the life of Yeshua's, who, who was our sacrifice. Consequently, when we speak of the blood of Yeshua, we are talking about the life of his atonement. If our blood is pure, clean, holy, and righteous, then our life is pure, clean, holy, and righteous. See, blood represents the life. So when we understand that blood represents the life, if our life is wholesome, then I mean we have wholesome blood. If our blood is impure, unclean, unholy, unrighteous, then our life is impure, unclean, unholy, and unrighteous. So the blood is a symbol of life. When we come to make an atonement for our sinful life, what we need in order to do so is a righteous life of Yeshua. That's the only life we can use to make the atonement. Because the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of Elohim. So there's no individual, not we ourselves, nor any other individuals outside of ourselves can give us atonement. If we come for atonement in order to get life and to live eternally, we have to get a perfect life. Now, if we want to atone for our own lives, well, we can atone for it, but we will only pay the penalty of what we did, but we could not have eternal life. So when we exchange our life for a perfect life, which is Yeshua, 
then we can not only have our sins forgiven and don't have to pay for them, but also we can have that eternal existence with, with the Father because of that perfect life that he's looking for. So when the sinful blood of Yeshua is appropriated perfectly before the angels in the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle, it represents our sinful life that we put upon him by confessing to him our sins. Our sins are conferred upon him when we confess them to him as our ransom. Now let us concern ourselves with the meaning of the sinful blood being sprinkled before the veil. So when the priest came in and he did, let us turn back to uh, Leviticus chapter four and verse six, Leviticus four, six, and find out uh, what the priest did again. So here it says in Leviticus chapter four and verse six, he said, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before Yah, before the veil of the sanctuary. So here we are told that he came in, he sprinkled that blood seven times before the veil. So when we understand that that had a significance, okay, now, what was that significance? Well, in order to understand what that significance was, we, we have to also understand the veil. So now, what is it about the veil that we need to understand in order that we can understand this in the heavenly sanctuary? So we'll look at some, of, we'll try to decode some of the things that are going on here, okay? Now, so when the sinful blood of Yeshua, our lamb, was sprinkled seven times before the veil of the holy place, it represented the sinful life of our sins placed upon him in a typical sense. However, in the antitypical sense, the blood was sprinkled before the veil it was a testimony of two factors about the Lamb of Yah. Now let us at this, let us look at these two factors. We will reference these two factors respectively as the testimony of blood, of the blood of Yeshua, and we will call this the witness of the life of Yeshua. So let us start with our first factor, which we reference to as the testimony of the cleansing blood of Yeshua, which we call the witness of the purifying life of Yeshua, our lamb. So we want to look at these two factors. So we want to start with the first one to see how it relates to our Messiah. Now, the witnessing of the purifying life of Yeshua, our lamb. The blood sprinkled before the veil seven times testified that the blood of an innocent man was slain, provided the, the guilty sinner the clean blood of the redeemed. When we consider the sprinkling, it was to, it has to do with a process 
by which somebody is concentrated. So we, so that blood, that sprinkling of the blood, represented a type of consecration. Oftentimes, when they get ready for sacred services, they would have a consecration, and this was the this sprinkling of the blood was a type of consecration. This consecration is what we call the sanctification process. See, sanctification makes us holy, and what makes us holy is to have a holy life that comes from the blood, which represents life. So when they sprinkled that blood, they was consecrating uh, the sanctuary with that. So this consecration is what we call the sanctification process. To sprinkle the blood seven times is to consecrate the life perfectly. You see, seven represents perfection. So to sprinkle it seven times meant that you can't, you had a perfect conse uh, consecration to consecrate the life perfectly. And to do it before the veil is to do it before the angels, which are represented by the angelic figurines of angels on the veil. You see the veil that Moses had, it had angels who assisted us in this great plan of deliverance. Okay, now what we want to look at uh, is, is Gen not Genesis, but Exodus 36. And in Exodus 36, we want to look at verse number 35. So Exodus 36, 35. We want to turn to there and be able to further understand why that veil is necessary. Okay, now here in Exodus 30, 36, we want to look at verse number 35. Now here the Bible says, and he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with the cherubims made he it of cunning work. So when Moses took that, that those pieces of cloth and had Bezalel or a holy app to make that veil to separate the holy from the most holy place, it says they were to make it out of blue, purple, scarlet, and twine linen. And then once they had done that, they were to make figurines of cherubims on there. So they took that golden thread and went through those multicolors and they made figurines of angels. And when the sanctuary was lit up with the lampstand, and all of the light hit on that veil, there you could see those golden figurines of angels on that veil that separated the holy from the most holy place. So that veil represented the angels. So the life concentrated before the angels perfectly witnessed that the life of Yeshua, our innocent lamb, who was slain, provided the guilty person the clean life through redemption. So when we consider angels, angels assist us in the plan of salvation. Angels assist Elohim in the great plan of redemption. And so when you look at those angels and he was sprinkling or consecrating that blood before the angels in the heavenly sanctuary, he is 
portraying that blood before the angels in the sense that they are cooperating him with him in his great plan of redemption. And it was a witness to the angels of what he had done. This redeemed life, which was witnessed before the angels and also before the Father in heaven, was the perfect witness that the life of a pure person that was killed gave the convicted person the pure life to be salvaged. Moreover, it also witnessed that we who accept the life of the Lamb of Yah was made clean. It was also a witness that the person who accepted the life of Yeshua was made pure. This brings us to our second factor, which we reference to as the testimony of the cleansing blood of the repentant, which we call the witness of the purified or the purifying life of the redeemed. So as we pointed out, that veil had, had it had uh, the colors of, of blue and scarlet and purple and fine twain. So we have blue, purple, scarlet, and white. And with the cherubims were made of cunning work on that veil that separated the most holy place. Now, the witnessing of the purifying life of the redeemed. So we looked at how it affects Yeshua himself, who is our high priest and also our sacrifice. And he gave his life, which was his blood. Now we want to look at this same scenario from the standpoint of those of us who are redeemed. The blood sprinkled before the veil seven times testified that the blood of the impure repentant was set free by giving Yeshua, our innocent lamb, the unclean blood to be slain. This life, which was consecrated before the angelic host and the father, was the perfect witness that the life of an impure person was set free, gave Yeshua, our lamb, the impure life to be killed. So when we understand that when we gave Yeshua our sins, then the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So when we transferred our sins to Yeshua, we also transferred our sentence and penalty of death to him as well. So when he took our sins, he gave us his righteousness. And when he gave us his righteousness, he also gave us life. So everything that he had, he gave to us. Everything that we had, we gave to him. Everything righteous that he had, he gave to us. Everything unrighteous that we had, we gave to him. So when we gave him our sins, because if we had kept, had kept those sins, then we would have had to die for him. But since we gave them to him, then he died in our place and we lived in his place. That is what you call atonement, justification by faith. Moreover, it also witnessed that Yeshua accepted the life of the redeemed, which was 
unclean. He accepted our unclean life. It was a witness that Yeshua, who accepted the life of the redeemed, was made impure and died on the behalf of the redeemed. So that was what atonement was about, taking a perfect life and exchanging it for an imperfect life and to be able to give us the redemption. So when we consider the sinful life of Yeshua that was applied to the holy place on a daily basis in the heavenly sanctuary, tabernacle, such a life represented the sins of all of the redeemed who are seeking forgiveness for them. This life state, this life, this life record of one sin in the heavenly sanctuary, it will be there until it is removed on Yom Kippur, of which we call the Day of Atonement. See, he atones for us every day, but the Day of Atonement, of which we call Yom Kippur, occurred only once a year. And when it occurred only once a year, it was on the 10th day of the seventh month, which is Tishri, on the, on, on, in that month, and all year long, up until the Day of Atonement, the sinful life of modern Israel was witnessed. However, once having recorded the sinful life of Yeshua, all year long, then on the Day of Atonement, a special cleansing took place. And to do so, it took away on the Day of Atonement the record of all of the sins and iniquities that had accumulated all year long. So you can imagine that as the priest on a daily basis went into the sanctuary, he sprinkled the sinful blood that it was a lot of blood that accumulated in the sanctuary and on the veil that needed to be washed off. So when they call this cleansing of the sanctuary, they, you can look in Daniel 8, 14, when it speaks about the cleansing of the sanctuary. The cleansing of the sanctuary was when all of the records of sin was done away with. Not only were they forgiven, but they were done away with on the Day of Atonement during the rest of the year. They were forgiven, but they were not done away with. So all year long, as the priest constantly went in and out of the sanctuary, he was busy sprinkling that blood, and that blood was accumulating the records of the sins of our lives. So when Yeshua went into the heavenly sanctuary, then he was bringing our sinful life before the Father. And as he brought the sinful life before the Father, he was saying to the Father, Father, my blood, blood i plead my blood in their behalf that i may save them and as a result uh he said i forgive them of the sins but on the day of atonement he said father not only forgive them but father do away with the record of their sin so on the day of atonement it points out to us on a yearly basis that elohim not only forgives our sins but what does he do with those sins he do away with them his life covers us and when his life covers us then Lashua looks, then the Father looks down from heaven. He sees, what are they doing? Are they walking in that perfect life that my son has given them? Or are they taking the blood that I have given them and going contrary with it? And if our lives are walking in harmony with 
the, the life of Yeshua, which he has given to us, the Father said in heaven that if your life on earth is matching the life of my son in heaven, then you are clear. Your sins are not only forgiven, but they are done away with. But now if he looks and we try, he tries to plead for our blood and find that we are purposely walking contrary to what uh, the life that we have been given, which is a perfect life, and we are walking contrary to that, he is saying, my blood cannot cover that. My blood cannot cover it. My grace cannot even cover that. I give you my grace that if you make a mistake, and we surely will make some mistakes, but we should not continue in that mistake. But if we continue to just sin purposely and expecting Elohim's grace to forgive us, then it won't happen because that would not be grace. That would be disgrace is to take his grace and to continue to sin and to believe that we can practice sin. And because we practice sin, we can just reach out and get his grace and be cleansed. It's grace doesn't work that way. The reason why he gave you the grace is that he said that if you make a mistake, you don't have to become discouraged. He said, because my grace won't cover you. You made a mistake, yes, but I'm not gonna jump, jump over you and, 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 and crucify you or put you out of my family. He said, I give you my grace because you made a mistake. You didn't mean to do it, but that's what you did. So here's my grace. Grace is to help us to continue to do the right thing, not to continue to do the wrong thing. So when we look at the uh, sanctuary, that when Yeshua went back to heaven, he was taking the record of our sins that was in heaven, not necessarily his literal blood. So as a result, the, this cleansing involved uh on the Day of Atonement, it involved two goats. It was a ritualistic clean cleansing. This cleansing involved casting lots, and when they would cast the lots, they would cast them on the goats to see which goat they would they 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 would uh, use in this service. Now let us turn to the Book of Leviticus, the sixteenth chapter, Leviticus chapter sixteen. And we want to look at uh, verses 7 and 8, Leviticus chapter 16, and verses 7 and 8. Now here it reads, in Leviticus chapter 16, starting with verse 7, it says, And he shall take the two goats and present them before Yah at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one for the lot of Yahor and the other lot for the scapegoat. Now you had two goats. One was Elohim's goat. The other goat was the scapegoat. Now the purpose of El's goat represented Yeshua who would die for our sins. The scapegoat represents Satan who is the one who have instigated sin and causes us to sin. So he said you had to cast lots for these. Now, in the same 16th chapter of the book of Leviticus, we want to read verse number 11. Now, in verse number 11, it says, And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. So, one of the first things they had to do is to make sure that Aaron was clean, his sins was forgiven, 
and also his family because he was a priest. All of his sins had to be atoned for. So when we look at these two goats, that first goat, when they cast lots, if it fell for the lot, Elohim's goat, then they were to do that. But in addition, Aaron had to go in addition to the goats. And verse 11 says they had to get a bull and use it for a sin offering for himself and to make an atonement for his family. Okay, so his family can be clean. And the priests would take this blood and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat toward uh, the mercy seat seven times. Now let's look at verse 14 of the 16th chapter of uh, Leviticus. Verse 14 says this. It says, and he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. So again, he's talking about the priest sprinkling that blood seven, seven times. And after having slain a goat and a bullock for a sin offering, he would then take the live goat, which was the scapegoat. And what did he do with that? Well, let's turn to uh, Leviticus 16. In the same book, we want to look at verses 21 through 22. So what did he do with that, with, 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 with that, uh, with that blood? Okay, and what was the process? Here's the process right here. So when we look at verses 21 through 22, it says, and when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. See, that live goat was a scapegoat. Now, once they had killed one goat, that goat had all of the sins on it. But then when they brought this scapegoat, the live goat that did not die, that represented Satan, okay? He said in verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So the act of all of those sins being put on the goat was symbolic to the fact that Yeshua in the heavenly sanctuary who have the record of our sinful life is going to take that sinful life in the end of days and he's going to take all of the sins of all of the people that have confessed them to Yeshua. He has all of our sins, just like on the Day of Atonement, all of the sins that they had committed all year long, when the Day of Atonement came, he confessed those sins on the scapegoat and sent him to the wilderness. And likewise, for our entire lifetime, all of the sins that we have confessed of all of those who have been redeemed, all of our sins, they were put on Yeshua. But on the Day of Atonement, Yeshua in the heavenly sanctuary going to take a lifetime of all of the people that have followed him and they confess their sins. He's going to take those sins and put them on Satan 
And according to the book of Revelation, he's going to send him out into the wilderness and he's going to be there a thousand years on a planet that is deserted to think about all of the sins that he have put upon us. And now they are put back on him. And these sins are going to be on him and he will burn according to the amount of sins that he has caused us to sin. Now, remember, the plan of salvation was not made for angels. It was made for human beings. So, therefore, the angels who had fallen with Satan, who had sinned, they will partake and burn for their sins. But Satan is not going to only burn for his sins, but he's going to burn for the sins of all of us who, who sin, but we confessed our sins and gave them to Yeshua. And Yeshua turned around and took our sin and put up, put them back on Satan, who started it in the first place. And so their sins of Satan will be twofold. The angels who sin, they they'll have to suffer and die and burn for their sins. But Satan would have to suffer and burn and die for his sins and also all of the sins that we put upon Yeshua, he would take them and put them back on Satan. So you could imagine he's going to burn a lot longer than the average person. So this is what we call uh, the, the atonement process that eventually all of our sins will be blotted out. Now, in this ritual, what is being rehearsed is an act of cleansing the the act of a cleansing process whereby sins are done away with. That's how sins are done away with. So in our next discourse, next week, we look forward to observe this process at work. We reference this process as the cleansing process of which we call this process the imputed succession procedure, the imputed succession procedure, in the imputed succession procedure, we are experiencing how our sinful life is transported from one person to another. In this part of our study, we will demonstrate both where sin started and show how it is transported to a person and to our Savior until it returns to its creator, which is Satan. We will reference this various succession of this procedure as the imputation cycle. So next week we want to study the imputation cycle. We're going to see how sin is being recycled. Father in heaven, as we have seen the justification of what Yeshua was doing in heaven, he has taken all of our sins, and as he stands before the Father, he pleads his blood for each one of us as we walk in obedience to his life that he has given us because he has taken on our sinful life, and he has a record of that life in heaven. And one day he's going to take all of our sins from Adam all the way up to the present and lay them back on Satan who gave them. And may we continue to give our sinful life to Yeshua that eventually he'll give our old sinful life to him who gave it to us. And one day we have a life without sin and we have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim.
throughout eternity is our prayer. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So, um, now you said the blood was sprinkled seven times upon the veil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told him sprinkled with his finger seven times, right? So it comes a point in time with. So I'm just wondering, like blood stains. Would they have to actually clean and wash the bell at a certain point, or would they just put up a whole new one? No, unless unless the unless the fabric has worn out, mm-hmm. they they would put a new. Because even the priest's garments, they said, when the priest's garments got old and they couldn't wear it anymore, mm-hmm. they would take it and tear it up and uh, shred it, and they would make wicks for the lampstand to have wicks in it. And they would take those old garments and make wicks. So uh, if it got to the point they had to do it, they would make some more. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they would wash it because the only thing you need in order to wash blood off of something is it's just pure water. Mm-hmm. I used to be in the body and fender work, and sometimes people be in a, a car accident, and their blood gets on the upholstery and on the car. And then the way that we take the blood off, just get water. You just take water. You can wash blood right off. Mm, okay. Um, so the so Aaron had to sacrifice, I believe, a bullock for not only him but his whole family. Yeah, and he also did it for the congregation too. You know, they had the to be clean as well. And congregate me Israel as a whole. Yeah, that was the congregation. Uh, and uh, now, blood was also put on the altar of sweet incense. Yeah, it was put on on that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we may we we may cover that uh, next week, but I'm not sure because uh, what we want to cover was already covered. But we do know, according to the scriptures that the only time blood was put on the altar of incense was on the Day of Atonement. Okay. The other day, uh, Elohim instructed him no blood was to be put on on the altar of incense. Uh-huh. Uh, he said, you can put it outside in the court because that's where the crucifixion was. Yeah. But they were not to put blood on the sweet altar of incense only once a year, and that was the Day of Atonement. Okay. Uh, we have... Uh, two questions that was emailed and the first one reads since Yahusha has died for our sins and we can confess our sins every day why is there a need for a day of atonement excellent question okay well uh, <clears throat> we look at it from, from, from this standpoint that when a person sins and you ask forgiveness uh that's one of the first prayers that will be answered is when we ask for forgiveness of sin. Now, you can pray for anything and everything, but that is one prayer that would always be answered. Mm-hmm. That when you ask Elohim forgiveness of sin, the Bible says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. But the fact is, he still have a record of it. So we're looking for the Day of Atonement. It's not only to get give us forgiveness for it, 
but that he do away with the record of sin. So if somebody come up to me after my sins is forgiven and he done with the record, then they say, you did such and such. I say, well, uh, I don't think so. And they say, yes, you did. I said, well, where's the record? <laughs> if it ain't no record, you can't take me to court. Mm -hmm. So that's just a common illustration. But on the Day of Atonement, the sins was gotten rid of. They, wouldn't, they were not rid of when you ask for forgiveness. They were only forgiven, but on the Day of Atonement, they are forgiven and done away with. Right, so the Day of Atonement, they're written off, gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got a, you got a clean slate. So you got a clean slate. And when you leave, you, you, only thing, only thing you're looking at when you, when your record is clean is, is try to keep it clean. Uh -huh. Now, you may not keep it, but you can look forward to the following year that whatever sins you accumulate, you can get rid of them the following year. But when the day of atonement comes, everything that you have confessed is done away with. You don't have any more record of it. Mm. That's when he said, I'm going to put your, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate your sins from you as far as the East is from the West. Mm -hmm. So, yep. so, uh, if you ask for forgiveness of sins, but, uh, you don't do what you're supposed to during the Day of Atonement. Is your record still wiped, or well, well, if you if you if if you sin on the Day of Atonement mm -hmm. and uh, you haven't confessed those sins, then it may be applied to you to the next year. But the point is, is that if you have confessed that sin, and then when the Day of Atonement Tome come, and you you remember that there was some sins you did you hadn't confessed. Mm -hmm. Then it may be that if you're continually practicing that, that you won't get the full forgiveness. Because remember, the priest when he went in on the day of atonement, he had the bells on his garment, and as he had those bells on his garment, then they could hear on the Day of Atonement, whether or not he was still live in there. Because if he had gone in there unclean without the cleansing of the bullock and having his sin clean, he could have been struck dead like Nadab on the bayou, who mm. played with strange fire in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So it's, just, it's the same thing with our lives. We can't play with Elohim. If we ask him for forgiveness, we can't continue to wallow in that sin. But if we do, then if we continue in sin, I think somewhere in uh, in the Hebrews where it says there's no more forgiveness for that sin. So on the Day of Atonement, if you've been practicing it and you still haven't given it up, the Day of Atonement is not going to do you any good, but condemn you. Mm. Okay, uh, we have another question, and it reads, what happened if someone died before the Day of Atonement back in the biblical times? Were their sins forgiven? Well, the thing that the, if they died before the Day of Atonement, the, the the question would not be their death. The question would be that as long as they were living, did they ask forgiveness for that sin? Now, if they asked forgiveness of a sin, and then let us say it was the third month in that year, but they were used to asking forgiveness for it, taking the lamb to the altar, 
-hmm. Well, what would happen is that they would be forgiven, but if they died uh, and they haven't had the record clear, then when the Day of Atonement came, especially in the antitypical Day of Atonement, which is Yeshua, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, just like the thief on the cross, he didn't have a chance to live out a perfect life like we do because he was right there on the cross adjacent to Yeshua. But Yeshua told him that his blood is going to cover him because he said, I say to you this day that you will be with me in paradise. So what he was telling him, no, you accepted me, but you don't even have the ability to get baptized because you you dine with me. You don't have the ability to go back to your home and live out this life because you dine with me. He said, but what's going to get you into the kingdom is not what you've done, but what I've done. And if you accepted me for what I've done, my grace is going to get you in. So the person who dies before the Day of Atonement, and if he's used to having his sins forgiven, then on the Day of Atonement, Elohim was going to say, when I died, my grace can cover you in both death and life. Mm. So therefore, you will also be saved. So that's how powerful that blood is. And when we talk about blood, again, I emphasize we talk about life. That's how powerful that life is, that that, that life of Yeshua covers you both in death as well as in life. So if that man died before the day of atonement, Elohim has said, my death, which was a period of death, mm-hmm. is going to give that man the grace to still have all of his sins done away with. Wow. And we have another question. And it reads, can the Day of Atonement be similar to how some say Yah's grace will forgive them? Uh, well, we, we are all going to be saved by grace. But what, what I was trying to make in the discourse, uh, and of course, this may be what you're talking about and it may not, but I think it answer both questions. When we talk about grace, uh, we're not talking about a cheap grace that people say, I'm going to eat anything I want to eat. I'm going to do anything I want to do. I'm going to go contrary to Elohim's words. It doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. We all going to be saved. He's going to save us by his grace. It doesn't work that way. Because if it worked that way, it wouldn't be no need to even preach the gospel. Everybody can say, I do what I want. Because when it's all over, all I done do is lead on his grace. It doesn't work that way. Even David fell out of grace, but mm-hmm. he repented and came back. So what we are talking about is simply... That grace says that I was out of, uh, I was, I was, I was not in harmony with the wishes of the Torah. I was not in harmony with the life of Yeshua. I was not in harmony with what Elohim wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, but now I'm coming to Him. I'm asking, Father, forgive me for what I've done. And so He said, "You're forgiven, and my grace is gonna cover all of that." But I'm giving you my grace not only to cover your sins, but I'm giving you my grace to give you power to be able to do and to walk in the Torah, to walk in righteousness, to walk like my son walked. That's why I'm giving you the grace. But you cannot just take my grace after I forgive you and say, well, you forgave me that time. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to keep on doing it. It doesn't work that way. You can end up never knowing when. Elohim has left you. 
he can forgive many times, but that don't mean many times you you won't get that many times. Uh-huh. He was just like Samson. Every time Samson told Delilah uh, about a secret of his life, and she did it, and then she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And he would jump up like a natural man. And she kept fooling with him until eventually he told about his hair, and she knew that he was telling the truth. So this time she cut off his hair. And so Samson jumped up when the Philistines came and says, I'll, I'll go out like I did before. And he found out that when he had cut his hair, he has cut his covenant with Elohim mm-hmm. and they took him captive. But see, he didn't know it. So it's, you, we can't play with his grace because if we do, we don't know at what time he has withdrawn his spirit from us. So what I'm saying is grace is given to us that as we continue on our, on our journey, we'll make mistakes. And then when we make a mistake and ask forgiveness, and then we'll say, well, you know, Father, I'm sorry. You know, I, I didn't know that. And the Father said, I got you. He said, Father said, I got you back. He mm-hmm. said, my grace going to cover that. Because you didn't mean it. I know you didn't. Yeah. But my grace got you. But now if you're going to take my grace from the world out here and go do the same thing and open, open, over again, he, he going to say, no, that's not grace. That's disgrace. Mm-hmm. So let us not use his grace as something just to do evil and to do wrong and to jump up and say his grace will cover us. It doesn't work that way. So let us be true to the calling that he has given us, that we use his grace, that we make a mistake, we can go on. And things that I'm not even aware of, that they are even a mistake when I come into the light of it. I say, Elohim, uh, I didn't know that. And Elohim said, at your time of your ignorance, I winked, I winked at it. But you know now. So take my grace and go on and continue to work out a life of sanctification. All right. And with that, we transition to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Today, let's talk about it. I want to talk about some of the things that's been going on. Uh, I don't know if the news been... Uh, covering it much or um, it's basically people on social media uh, talking about it. But as we're saying, we still are people, the so-called Negro um, has been still being persecuted. And we're starting to hear more and more about sundown towns again, not just here in the South. But even in the north, if you don't know what a sundown town is, a sundown town is where if a person of color, a Negro person, is in a predominantly white city that once the sun go down, if they're not out of there, harm can come to them. So I'm just like, why, in essence, are we still having to deal with a lot of these things? Then I started to read in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 18 through 20. That's John, chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. And it reads, If the world hate you, ye know not that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his, his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you. 
The servant is not greater than his Adonai, his master, his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have guarded my word, they will guard yours also. So, Pastor, with that, I want to ask, are we still receiving hate because we are Yahuwah's chosen people, even though many do not know it yet? Well, you know, it's it's not just a it's not just a simplistic question when we say we're receiving hate. Uh-huh. See, when the disciples, if we take this in their setting, they were practicing the life of the Torah, uh-huh. and as they were dealing with people in the in the world, then the world had a different agenda than they had. It's like when you look at the Romans, the Romans' agenda was different from Israel's agenda. Mm-hmm. So as the Romans and the um, so-called Christians and the Israelites, when they cohabitated together, then there was a lot of things that Rome did not want them, uh, did not want to accept from them. And as a result, when we even see, look at the crucifixion of Yeshua in the Roman courts, even Yeshua's own people, because he was living out the righteous life uh-huh. among his own people, they ostracized him. Matter of fact, the Bible says he came among his own and his own received him not. And then you turn around, the Roman government, they were against him too. Uh-huh. So what do you have? You have his people against him. The Rome was against him, which was the world. Mm-hmm. And when he died on the cross, he, he, he said, even to his father, why have you forsaken me? He couldn't find any justice in the courts, mm-hmm. and he couldn't find any justice among his own people. Mm-hmm. So when you live righteous, it's going to be a rebuke to those who aren't, and they're going to strike up a hatred against you. He said, they hated me, and I was the chief of righteousness. Uh-huh. He said, what do, you, what do you think they're going to do with you? Uh-huh. You're not even living up to uh, where I am. And yeah. they're going they, they, if they hated me, you know they're going to hate you. So when we look at sundown laws and all, 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 all of this, uh, we got to understand that the judicial system is corrupt. Uh-huh. It was a judicial system that Pilate knew. Pilate knew. He knew that Yeshua was innocent. That's why he tried to get him off. Uh-huh. But Pilate did not take a stand, and so he allowed the, the mob to sway him. And we got a lot of mob justice now. Mm-hmm. You can be in an all-Caucasian uh, uh, area, and you got a few blacks, and people who drive through the community want to say, well, you shouldn't be in, in, in this community. Well, they have set the courts like they wanted to, just like in the time of Yeshua. If we expect to get justice out of the courts, I mean, we just as blind as we can be. Even mm-hmm. though the by, even though the court has a person with a with a bandana around their face that they can't see, they say justice is blind. And the reason why they say justice is blind is because they they're gonna look at the law, and they're not gonna look at who you are, but they're gonna try to ju- uh, judge you without bias. Mm-hmm. But that is not true. They'll they judge you just because the color of your skin is one one color. Yeah. 
Do you know if they had courtrooms where we have a not only a sequestered uh, uh, a jury that they were private, but if we also had uh, witnesses and you didn't know who did the crime and you couldn't see them, you just had to listen to their arguments, uh-huh. then justice would be blind. But the minute they see certain ethnicities, all of a sudden, everybody's against that person. But if they didn't know who it was and they had to just judge it purely on what they heard and the facts, and then they came out and they showed you who the ethnicity was, then many people would be surprised, just like when people vote. Some people ain't concerned about voting democracy or democratic or voting this law or that law. The only only thing they voting for is the ethnicity of the person. If the person is this color, I'm going to put them in. And if they're not that color, I'm not going to vote for them. You follow what I'm saying? So justice is the same way. Justice has a way of looking at you. And sometimes the very judge on the bench is going to side with the person who may be of the same ethnicity they are, and they set the laws according to that. So, yes, they will hate us. And we have to look for that because of the fact the Bible already said you're going to have to carry a cross. Now, let me ask this then. Um, we know that some of the things we have had to deal with as a people was because of disobedience and the curses that was brought upon us because of our ancestors' disobedience. So is there a way that we can know that what is we are going through is the result of the curses or is it the result of just people hating what Yah represents? And if we represent that, uh, you know, we're going to face hatred from the world. Yeah, well, we tried to cover a lot of that in the destiny of disobedience. Let me see. Uh-huh. I don't know if, let me see, destiny of disobedience. I don't know. No, I don't think that one. I don't think that discourse is being typed out. We have one discourse. Uh, it's being typed out. Maybe we might have this one typed out, but uh-huh. I didn't want to put too much work on the person who's typing out the other one. But the fact is, is that some of it is a, rec- is a result of what we did. Uh-huh. Some of it is not. I mean, you're going to have haters. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, let's look at it. Uh, Esau and Jacob, uh, they were brothers and they were hating on one one another. Yeah trying to get the birthright and, and, and all of that. That didn't come from an outside. And even Yeshua said a lot of the foes that we're going to be against is not going to be out there. It's going to be in our own households. But at the same time, when you look at the book of Revelation, it's talking about two things. It's talking about the people who are sinful in the church. And it's also talking about the people who are sinful out, out the church. So Elohim is doing two things. He's trying to purify the church and also get the worldly people to come to his church. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to purify both the church and the world, you're going to find that you're up against a lot of haters. Because mm-hmm. even when Joseph was put in prison down in, uh, uh, when he was uh, among his brethren, and they sold him, they him, and then eventually when he uh, got down in Egypt, he was able to save his family. And then pretty soon, the very Egyptians that he helped save they went against Elohim's people and they was going to make them make brick when they didn't even have straw to make the bricks and they gave servitude to them. Uh. 
So what we are seeing is that when we live in a world, uh, some of the things we deserve and some of the things we don't. But some of the things that we don't deserve maybe be the sin of the third and the fourth generation coming upon us of what past generations have done. So we have to look at it not very simplistic that these laws that they make uh-huh. uh, just for us because they're going to be dealing with some things themselves. Sometimes they would get us, but sometimes they they may not. But usually people in a family, they usually band together. Yeah. But at by the same time, the very family that's band together, they also going through their hard knocks as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we see in the Persian Empire, what do we see? Mordecai and Esther, when they were down there, they had to battle uh, of trying to get their freedom because they were saying that they were following a different law than the Persian law, so they wanted to kill all the Jews. Yeah. And then when... Uh, when when Ahasuerus, the king, found out that his wife, she was a Jew, they changed the whole whole thing. Uh-huh. So it behooves us to know that it's not going to be an easy thing. I mean, you're going to have your haters. I mean, Yeshua, he didn't already told his disciples that. So we have to be vigilant. We have to be praying. We have to be in the scriptures and to know that we're on a job that we'll never punch out. We're in a war that we'll never get a furlough. Wow. And we have we we're gonna be fighting. We're gonna be fighting this thing until we until we go out of this 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 world. So that means we got to be on our knees. We got to have the sword of the word with us. We got to be meditating. We have to fast. We have to pray because it's not gonna lighten up. If anything, it's gonna get worse. True. So yeah, they're gonna hate them. They're gonna have more than the sundown laws. They're gonna have a whole whole lot of other stuff. And when it really boils down, it's not going to really be boiled down to uh, the black and white. It's going to be for the righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I think uh, sometimes they do throw a lot of these things out here to distract you. But in the end, it's like you said, it's going to be the righteous as well as the unrighteous. It doesn't matter what your skin color is or whatsoever. It's going to be about which side are you standing on, you know, especially as we are moving towards the, uh, you know, end of time in, in anticipation of the most high uh, son to return and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, you were saying next week you're going to be dealing with what again, the impudent. The imputation of uh, what we, uh, the imputation of cycle mm-hmm. and, what we're going to look at look at in that particular discourse is uh, in the imputation cycle is how sin is dealt with. Okay. We want to look and see sin is what's cursed this world, and we're going to see ultimately how it is dealt with in a way that we're going to see when be eradicated and how. Okay. All right. So you mm, definitely. Yeah. We'll yeah. Uh huh. No, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. this we wanted to see. We just want to see how, when we when we sin and why we did it and what happened to our sins uh-huh. and when they were put on Yeshua and how Yeshua gonna return those sins and we just want to look at that 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 that, that cycle of how sin 
goes around and how it's going to be dealt with. And we we, 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 we want to see that. And I think once we see that, uh-huh. then we can see not only the justice of Elohim, uh-huh. but we can also be able to see uh, this is how we are being saved from sin. Wow. So I want to encourage you. Uh, you can go on YouTube and hit the uh, subscribe button and hit the bell in the top, I believe, right-hand corner so you can be notified of when our podcast goes live and drop or just set the notification of when we, the next uh, podcast. But, you know, we are always on every Shabbat at 3 p.m. So constantly mark your calendars next 3 p.m. And you don't want to miss next week for sure. We you definitely want to hear what the pastor is going to bring to us next week. So with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out another podcast? Father, thank you for another time that we could come together and to be able to share the hours of the Shabbat together. And we trust that we have been blessed, but most of all, that your presence has been with us and that we can feel the relationship that we have with you and ourselves. For that is the first relationship that we need is with you. And as we develop that with you, then we can develop with our fellow man. We never want to put the fellow man over your relationship, but we want your relationship to always be there with us. And then when we deal with our fellow brothers and sisters, then we can have that spirit or heavenly father that you've given to us that we can give to them. So as we continue to walk and talk and to examine and to question, that you may be able to not only give us answers, but solutions and practical ways in which we can carry out the righteousness that you have given to each one of us, that we can prepare ourselves that when your son do return, that we can be able to meet him in peace. So as we continue to go from day to day, we ask that you would give us the necessary things that we need. Bless families, O Heavenly Father, that has suffered sickness and death, and those, O Heavenly Father, that may not have the means, O Heavenly Father, to be able to have the necessities of life that you will provide some ways and some means to do so. And what it is in our power who have that we may be able to help those who cannot help themselves. As you bless us, we can bless others. And as we continue to go through this life, we will have some hard knocks and haters. But we realize, oh, Father, that when we look at the life of Yeshua and the life of many of your patriarchs, how they endured and they were able to withstand all of the pressures and the difficulties because they looked to you and you fought for them. And as a result, they were overcomers. So bless us this day. And when we go into a new week, may we be refreshed to be able to carry on the responsibilities and the cares of life because you have renewed us on this another Shabbat. These blessings and others we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. I want to just remind you, if you have anything that you would like the pastor to cover in the discourse, uh, feel free to send us an email. Or if there's a topic you would like us to discuss in the Let's Talk About It segment, also send us an email. Also, if you have any questions or comments uh about the podcast, something we've discussed previously or something you want to know more about, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. That is our podcast for this week. 
All paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as to keep his covenant and his testimonies. Until next week, Shalom.